Um, and uh, I'm just, you know, really thankful to the Lord uh, for his kindness to my wife and I in allowing us to uh, continue uh, in, in the ministry. In, uh, um, when, I'm, when we're in Zambia in May, I will turn 72. And uh, I know, I don't look that young. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, just so thankful to the Lord for um, giving us physical strength to do this at this stage in our lives. Uh, that's a testimony uh, to God's faithfulness. We talked about God's faithfulness, but that's a testimony to his faithfulness that we can still do this. And we have no plans to stop until God stops us, so pray for that as well. Um, in Second Timothy, if you want to turn there, we'll look at this verse in a minute. But um, with all that is going on in our world today, uh, the virus, uh, the war, um, I just I look at that and I say these are extraordinary times that we're living in. You know, we have no idea what God is doing. But we do know that God is sovereign. God is in control. In control of the virus, control of the war. He's in control of everything. Uh, extraordinary times that we're living in. And I've just been, this has been on my heart for a while, that extraordinary times demand extraordinary Christians. Extraordinary times demand extraordinary Christians. Sometimes we have to put aside, put aside all of these other things that are going on, wars and, and, and uh, viruses, and we have to understand, okay, in light of those things, what does God want from me? What does God want from me as a Christian? And I believe that at these times, times like this, we, as Christians, need to have a sense of urgency. We need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. How many think that the Lord could come at any time? I think that demands a sense of urgency, knowing that the Lord could come at any time. We, we need to have this urgency concerning the bold proclamation of the gospel. And I think we need to look at these things that are happening in the world, the virus, the wars, and say, how can I use this? How can I use this to get the gospel to people? I think that's, God, that's what God wants us to do as Christians. I'm not going to go to Ukraine and fight the Russians. I'm not going to do that. But I can do other things. I can witness to Ukrainians, to Russians, and so on. But we need, uh, I, I believe, this, this uh, sense of urgency. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, it says there, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Difficult times, distressing times, terrible times shall come. Now, I think Christians for a number of uh, <laughs> different ages throughout, throughout history have thought that they were in the last times. 
And I think as, you know, as this was written by Paul, he, he maybe thought, this is the, la the last times. But, man, I don't know. The way things are lining up today, it's hard to not think that we're in the last days. God could come at any time. So what, is, what does it take for us to develop this sense of urgency to get the gospel out? This sense of urgency. I thought of four things that we're going to look at um, this morning. The first is a burden. A burden like God's. A burden like God's. A reliance. We talked about this this morning. A reliance on the promises of God. The promises of God. Third, a life surrendered to God. A life surrendered to God. And then fourth, a commitment. A commitment on our part to serve God. These four things to develop this sense of urgency. A burden like God's first thing. Second Peter 3.9, you probably heard me read this verse here uh, in, in other times. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promises, some man counts slowness, but is long-suffering or patient to usward, not willing or not wishing that any should perish. But what? That all should come to repentance. This is God's heart. Not willing or wishing that any should perish. Now this is the ninth verse in this chapter, chapter 3. Why is it here? Well, well, let's read why it's here. Second, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of re remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. They're saying, you, you, you're warning us of all of these things, but nothing is ever changing. All things are the same. You think the last days are here, but I mean, you've been thinking that for years, and you keep saying that. And they're saying, no, you're crazy. Verse 5, for this, that's not a Bible term. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's going to come a day of judgment. God is going to come. And those that are not saved are going to perish. That's a reality. And that's what they're saying here. Paul is saying here. The world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. God is holding back. God is holding back his judgment. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
we cannot look at God's timing as the same as ours. His timing is different. And that's when he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish. God is holding back his judgment so people can come to know him. That's what's happening today. He's holding back. How long? How long is he going to hold back his judgment? He's not willing that any should perish. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, talking about God, it says, who will have all men to be saved. That's God's heart. God wants people to come to know him. He wants people to, to repent, to trust Jesus as their Savior. He will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's New Testament. Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 33, 11. I'll just read it. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God does not want to punish people, but that wicked turn from their way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God doesn't want anyone to perish. That needs to be our burden. We don't want people to perish. Well, how are they going to not perish? I mean, how are they going to hear? Romans 10, very familiar verses for us. Romans 10, uh, verse 14. We'll, we'll read a few verses here. Romans 10, 14. Someone must tell people. <laughs> Someone must give the gospel to people. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Go down to verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to be getting the word of God. We need to be getting the gospel to people who have not heard. That's what God wants today. I mean, how many people do you know that are terrified, terrified of the virus? For good reason. Terrified of the virus. We have a message for them. We have a message that God has a plan for their life to live with him for eternity in heaven. How are people going to get to heaven? Well, we know. I mean, maybe the rapture. But they have to die. <laughs> they have to die. We don't like to talk about death. But what does death do? Brings us home to God. Brings us to heaven. Even the wicked can be saved. Even the wicked can be saved. Sometimes our heart is, they're wicked. <laughs> Let them die. Let them die. Should, should not be our heart. Several years ago, we went to the West Bank of Israel treating Palestinians, hoping to have opportunities to share with these Palestinian Muslims the gospel. This pastor came up to me and he said to me, why? Why are you going to the Palestinians? 
They hate Israel. So I wonder, maybe that would change <laughs> if they hear the gospel and get saved. I mean, why, why do we have this thing about people, ethnic groups or whatever? No, it's people. We're all people. And people need to hear the gospel. We can't, we can't judge people as we see them. I was so embarrassed. I went to uh, Starbucks in, in uh, Ohio. Where do you live? Ohio, Columbus area. Worthington, there you go. Worthington, Ohio. I went to Starbucks in Worthington, Ohio. And this girl behind the counter, she waited on me. You know, she had nose piercings and tattoos and, and all of this stuff. And that's fine. And, and so she waited on me, and I gave her a gospel track. And uh, I said, hey, this is from the Bible. It tells you how to be sure to go to heaven. I went and sat down. I was working on my computer. Probably a half hour later, this girl came up to me. She had the track in her hand. And she said to me, are you the one that gave me this? I'm like, no. <laughs> nope. Somebody that looked like me. No, I said, yeah, yeah. I'm, I was the one that gave it to you. She said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I needed to read that. I don't know if she got saved. But we can't judge people. We can't. Oftentimes, when I give out tracts, in my mind I, I say to myself, this person will not take this track. It, I say that to myself just by the way they look. That is so wrong. And nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm way off base. They're the nicest people. Of course, we know all, not all are going to be saved. But it's God's desire and should be ours that no one perish. No one perish. It has to be on our mind. It has to be. This is why God has left us here. We need to be a witness for him. I joked a little, little bit about Evelyn, that, that she lives with an unsaved husband. My wife lived with an unsaved, hus an unsaved husband for almost 14 years. She reminded me today that it was 35 years ago today. Today, March 27th. 1987, that I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Just before that, just before that, my wife told God she was willing to live with an unsaved husband if that's what he wanted. But praise the Lord, she kept sharing with me and living for the Lord. This is what we need to do. 35 years. I think I was 40 at that time. <laughs> you know, today, uh, there's all kinds of 
statistical things. People keep track of people all over the, all over the world and, and uh, track people groups and, and that. And they say in the world today, there's about 17,000 people groups, 17,000 distinct people groups. 7,000 of those, 7,000 of those are unreached with the gospel. 7,000 people groups. The world population today is almost, almost 8 billion. I think it's 7.9 or something like that. Almost 8 billion people. And the population of the unreached people groups are over, over 3 billion. Over 3 billion. Billion, I'm talking about. 42% of the current world population. 42% of the current world population is unreached with the gospel. I can't believe that. <laughs> they now divide the unreached <laughs> to the unreached of the unreached. They call them frontier people groups, the most unreached, where there's less than one person in 1,000 that can identify Jesus in any way. doesn't mean that they're saved. They can just, they know who Jesus is. One in 1,000 people. Most of those are Hindu, Muslim, or Asian people. And today, for every 10, for every 10 missionary who go to a reached people group, for every 10 that go to a reached people group, less than one goes to an unreached group, including those frontier people groups. Why don't they go? Why don't they go? Simply put, it's hard and it's dangerous to do it. It's difficult, very difficult. You can get killed in some of those countries. It's estimated that 70,000, 70,000 people die every day in the unreached world without Jesus. That's a lot of people. 70,000. The top 10 countries, I won't bore you with numbers, but the top 10 countries are India, Pakistan, Indonesia, Bangladesh, China, Japan, Iran, Turkey, Thailand, and Nigeria. Top 10 unreached people. Those are hard countries. India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, China. Hard countries. But the gospel needs to go there. People need to go. They need the burden. Now, I'm not here to say, okay, you people all have to go. <laughs> no, but we have to understand that there's a need for the gospel to be going forth. I would venture to say that of those 10, of those 10 countries that I uh, mentioned here, there are students from those 10 countries at UMass Lowell today. They can be reached. You don't have to go. They're coming here. They're coming here. Now, immigration. <laughs> There's a lot of people who feel different ways about immigration. I mean, I think it's out of control. It's out of control. But... Are these unsaved people that God is bringing to our country to hear the gospel? That's the way we have to look at it. 
These people are coming. Don't be political about it. Be spiritual about it. Be, have a Bible worldview, not a political worldview. These people are coming. How can we reach them? Not like, let's throw them out. No. How can we reach them with the gospel? That's what our thought has to be. Now, there's probably going to be many Ukrainians coming to the United States. We should be preparing. How can we reach them when they come? What can we do for them? A friend of ours is married, he's a missionary, he's married to a Ukrainian woman. He called me the other day. He's in Poland right now. Her family is in Ukraine. And he is going regularly to the border, Poland and Ukraine, to bring supplies. And, and uh, her brother comes. This is dangerous stuff. He's, he's coming back to the States on Wednesday, and he's going um, to gather some more stuff to bring and go back. And a few weeks after that, he said, do you want to come with me? You want to come with me? Man, I almost cried. I would go in a minute. I can't. There's ways we can help. I said, what are you, what are you bringing to the border? He said, prescription drugs, antibiotics, bandages, <laughs> different things these people don't have. I said, I'll send you some. I have a box ready to go. I mean, a little bit we can do. We can all do something. We need to be thinking gospel, not Putin or whoever. Gospel, a burden, a burden. As a Christian, are we prepared and willing to meet the extraordinary challenges before us? We need to be thinking about this. The time is short. And God could come back at any time. 42% of the population unreached. The committed laborers are few. That's not my words. Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous or plentiful. But what? The laborers are few. The laborers are few. When did he say that? A long time ago, <laughs> right? I mean, it was true then. And sadly, it's true today. It's true today. I don't know the statistics, but missionaries are retiring. And, and the new ones are not keeping up with the pace. We need to be committed. Sarah Boardman, Sarah Judson, She's got actually four names, Sarah Hall Boardman Judson. She served with her husband, two husbands. Uh, she was married to, I think it's George Boardman. He died, and Adoniram Judson's wife died, first wife, and Sarah Boardman married Adoniram Judson. She served in Burma, what we call Myanmar today, and she said this, how can I be so inactive when I know that thousands are perishing in this land of grace and millions in other lands are at this very moment kneeling before senseless idols? 
She had a burden, like God. She saw these people as people needing the gospel. That's what we got to see. It's interesting, the Boardmans, Sarah Boardman, her husband George, were missionaries for a period of time in Dawe, Myanmar. Dawe, Myanmar. Of course, you all know where that is. But Dawe, Myanmar, is where my wife and I have been. Twice. Twice. They left Dawe because it was so difficult. The work was so difficult. They left. They went to another area of Myanmar. Today, there's a young man, a young pastor, Job. I've probably mentioned him before here, that we work with in Myanmar, who is continuing the work in Dawe. And he's doing a tremendous job under really difficult, difficult conditions, especially today in Myanmar with the the war, the military in control of the government. This man had to move five times in five years. Persecution. Pastor Job. The director of the Bible school that he went to in Myanmar told him, told Job, don't go to Dawei. Don't go there. It's too hard. Don't go there. He went. Praise the Lord. And this man apologized afterwards. He said to him, who am I to tell you not to go? If that's where God wants you to go. And these people are 100% Buddhists. They need to hear the gospel. And they are. He just sent me an email yesterday. He's baptizing several people in two weeks. Praise the Lord for what he's doing under difficult circumstances. What does it take to develop the sense of urgency? It takes a burden like God's, and it takes a reliance on the promises of God's, of God. Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission. It starts off, it says, Go ye therefore, and at the end of it, at the end of it, the end of verse 20, it says, I am with you always. Where you go, I'll be there whether it's to Dawei, Myanmar, or, or Muma, Zambia. Joshua 1.9, For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Wherever you go, God is there with you. Wherever you go. I tell people, I put that verse in my pocket when I go. Not literally. But I can't go unless I know God is going to be there. I can't go on my own. I have to go with God. Hudson Taylor, a medical missionary, by the way, Hudson Taylor, he was a medical doctor. We did not come to China because missionary work here was either safe or easy, but because he called us. We did not enter upon our present positions under a guarantee of human protection. but relying on what? The promise of his presence. God doesn't guarantee us that we're going to be not persecuted, that we're not going to have trials and difficulties in our life. He never guarantees us that. But he tells us, I'm going to be with you. 
I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm going to be with you. Elizabeth Elliot, her husband, martyred as a missionary. There is no need for faith where there is no consciousness of an element of risk. I mean, if everything is going along smoothly, what do you need faith for? I mean, I don't need to trust anybody. Everything's fine with me. That's the world, right? That's the world. Eat, drink, and be merry. Faith, to be worthy of the name, must embrace doubt. I I don't know where I got this. I had it in my notes somewhere, but it says, Faith is praising God in the storm, trusting him in the valley, and following him in the darkness. That's faith. Psalm 23 reminded me of that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Trusting God. Trusting God. Adoniram Judson. I don't know anyone, anyone who had more trials than Adoniram Judson. Two of his wives died in Myanmar. And I... I don't know how many children, a number of children. His first wife, they had three children, they all died. And then others with his second wife. When asked about the prospects of his work against such odds, being imprisoned, which he was, and loss of family members, which happened, Judson answers, the prospects are as bright as the promises of God. If God is with us, We can do the work. Just as Christ died to save the unreached peoples of the world, so some missionaries are to die to save the people of the world. That's a quote from John Piper. Considering Revelation chapter 6, we won't look at that now, but, but I believe Paul, the apostle, had this attitude. That if it would benefit the gospel, he was willing to die. He said in Philippians 2.17 that he would want to be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. If people can hear the gospel through my death, bring it on. Do we have that attitude? I'm not saying I do. (laughs) I don't know if I told you the story about being in a so-called taxi in Lebanon. I don't know if I told you that story. We did a foolish, I did a foolish thing. We got into a taxi that wasn't really a taxi. And the guy took our suitcase and put it in his trunk and took off, taking us to the hotel. Unfortunately, he was going the wrong way. We knew he was going the wrong way. And we're in this taxi in Lebanon. My wife, for sure, thought we were going to be, that we were being kidnapped. You don't know what fear is until you're in the middle of it. Praise the Lord, he just got mixed up. He was, there were two hotels by the name, the same name. He was going to the other one. But I couldn't communicate with him. He didn't, he didn't understand English. When Adoniram Judson entered Burma in July 1813, it was a hostile 
unreached place. William Carey, a missionary hero, William Carey had told Judson in India a few months earlier, don't go there. Don't go there. All the previous missionaries had died or left. Don't go there. When I first went to Africa in 1994, my wife and our two children, young children, teenagers, went, four of us. I was criticized by some in this church. I can't remember who, so you may or may not be here today. <laughs> I don't know who it was. But I was criticized. How can you take your family there? You might get killed. <coughs> Judson worked in, in uh, Myanmar, Burma then, 38 years until his death. And um, he only took one trip home to the United States. The price that he paid for his service in Myanmar was immense. In the World Christian Encyclopedia, uh, the author writes, the largest Christian force in Burma is the Burma Baptist Convention, which owes its origin to the pioneering activity of the American Baptist missionary Adoniram Judson. He also translated the Bible into Burmese, which they use today. Today, it's estimated that the Myanmar Baptist Convention, it used to be Burma Baptist Convention, has 3,700 churches and 617,000 members. Was the price he paid worth it? He said, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered, ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Just because it's hard, it doesn't mean God doesn't love us. He loves us. He tells us that. Relying on the promises of God. God is not going to go back on his promises. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's never going to go back on that. Never. If you die, it's because he ordained it. It was your time. Years ago, we went to Iraq. <laughs> not my wife. She didn't come. I went with another man, another missionary man. We went to Iraq. We were in northern Iraq. We met a man in a hotel. We never met this man before. He was from uh, Israel. And uh, we talked with him. We realized He realized we were Christian, and we realized he was. And he said to us, um, do you want to go door-to-door uh, -door with me later today? And I'm like, um, we are we are in Iraq, <laughs> and uh, he said, "No, come on, you know it's uh, yeah, it'd be great. You, wanna, you guys want to come?" And so we said, "Okay, we'll go." And uh, I texted my wife from Iraq. I said, uh, "Going to door to door witnessing today." And she's like, 
don't you know where you are? <laughs> you know, you're in Iraq. I mean, this guy was bold. And we went, and we were invited into a home there that had multiple families living in that home. We sat down with them. They gave us food, they gave us drink, and we shared the gospel. Probably 20 people in that home, all Muslims in Iraq. Can you imagine that? I couldn't imagine it. Incredible. We found out recently that this man is dead. You know how he died? He got hit by a car. He didn't die going door to door witnessing in Iraq. He didn't die being bold for the gospel. He died crossing a street in Israel. I mean, when it's time, it's time. God is going to take us. I say God took this man home because he was rewarding him for his boldness to share the gospel. Who among this generation, this generation, who is going to be the next Adoniram Judson? I know the answer, Pastor Job. <laughs> anyway, but we have to think, we have to have this mindset, this burden like God's, this reliance on the problem, promises of God and a life surrendered to God. A life surrendered to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many of you memorize these verses? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Several. Easy to memorize. Oh, I won't say easy. I can't remember my phone number. I mean, easy to memorize these verses. Many people have memorized them, but so, so hard to live. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, your spiritual service, your spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. We have to have a biblical, a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview, not a political worldview. Renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, perfect will of God. Surrender. I present myself to you. I saw this quote not long ago, a veteran, a veteran, a military man, a veteran is someone who at one point in his life wrote a blank check made payable to the United States of America for the amount, for an amount of up to and including my life. I have done that with God. I said, God, my life is yours. That's the way it needs to be. I don't always live that way. I'm not a saint. But we need to come to that place in our life where we give ourselves to God a living sacrifice. Do with me what you will. That was Adoniram Judson and many others. From the book, I love this book. I recommend it highly. Daring Devotion. Some of you might have it. If you don't have it, get it. I'll sell you this one. Um, in this book, talking about the story of Eric Liddell, or Little, I don't know how you say his name, but anyway, he was in the Olympics, a runner in the Olympics. He talks about him, and he says, the writer of the book says, God calls every believer to live the surrendered life. God reveals his will to those who have already decided to do it. 
people often ask, I want to do God's will as long as it matches mine. As long as it matches mine. Eric Little lived out his surrender to God. In 1925, he gave up his Olympic racing career for missions work in China. After two years teaching science in a missionary school in China, Eric exchanged that comparatively comfortable post for itinerant evangelistic work in the war-ravaged Hebei province. As tensions mounted, he sacrificed time with his family, sending them to safety across the sea as he stayed to aid those in danger. He practiced what he preached. He lived a surrendered life. Surrender and obedience paved the way for knowing and proving God's will. God will only, God is, will, God's will is only revealed to us step by step and so on. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus talking, he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is surrender. Take up his cross. What does that mean? It means to die. We need to die to ourselves. Take up our cross daily. Daily. Why? <laughs> because you're going to change your mind. You know, this is hard. It's hard. We've got to do it daily. Get up and say, God, today, my life is yours. I live today. My life is mine. We have to have the surrendered mindset. My life is yours. Take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it take to have this sense of urgency, a burden like God's, a reliance on the promises of God, a life surrendered to God, and a commitment to serve God in these days of easygoing Christianity? You know what those days were? 1832 to 1905. This is Hudson Taylor writing this. In these days of easygoing Christianity, we can put 2022 in there. It is not well to remind ourselves that it, is, that it really does cost to be a man or woman whom God can use. One cannot obtain a Christ-like character for nothing. One cannot do a Christ-like work save at a great price. Save at a great price. I tell my wife after every trip, every trip we go on overseas, I tell her I am not doing this again. <laughs> now you know the real me. But what happens? I do it again. Why? Because there's a need. We need to do this. And with God's help, we can, all of us. We can, we can surrender to God. We can be committed to serving him. There must first be that commitment. Okay, I'll do it. True discipleship involves commitment. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. The cost of discipleship is a radical commitment, a radical commitment that supersedes all cultural and family ties. This is hard. All cultural and family ties. We need to be willing to lose our kids in Burma. We need to be willing to lose our wife we need to, need to be willing to die ourselves 
This is a radical commitment. I'm trying to find Luke's gospel in my Bible. Luke, Luke chapter 14. This is Jesus talking, not, not me. Jesus talking in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And there, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and he said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. He's not telling us to hate our mothers and fathers and our, and our brothers and sisters, but our loyalty, our loyalty first has to be to Jesus. First has to be to Jesus. Has to come before family or even life itself. I showed that picture, the first picture, Chizezo. The year was 2013. Some of you remember, that's the year my mother died. Where was I? Zambia. And she died here. Do you think that was easy? No, it's not easy. We need to be willing to go. I'd love to read to you because recently we celebrated, well, I didn't celebrate, but St. Patrick's Day. Patrick of Ireland was a wonderful missionary, a Christian, a born-again Christian missionary. That's in this book, his story. You need to, I'll sell you this book. You need to, $50, you need to read this. <laughs> this man was committed. First Peter 5.8. We need to be committed and we need to focus so many things are going to come in the way of your commitment. So many things. The devil. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walketh around as a roaring lion. You saw the lion on the side. A roaring lion. What? Seeking whom he shall devour. You make a commitment to God, the devil is right there. Right there. You look at trials in your life and you say, that's the devil. That's the devil. 1 Samuel 12, 20 and 21, Samuel said unto the people, this is after they had made Saul their king, fear not, you have done all this wickedness and turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and turn ye not aside for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. We spend so much time in our lives going after vain things. We do. I do. So, several of you said, wow, your garage looks so nice. I'm like, that's a vain thing. How many years did I live without a garage? That's a vain thing. The person that can continue this commitment, I call that a laser-focused Christian. We all need to have laser-focused Christianity. We need to be walking straight, not deviating, as the devil would want us to. 
in Luke chapter 9. We don't have time to read this section. It's a wonderful section in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This is at the time when Jesus was on his way to the cross. On his way, literally. On his way to the cross. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. The time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? He was laser focused on going to Jerusalem. And what was going to happen there? He was going to die. And he knew it. Steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So much so, as he walked through Samaria, the Samaritans were angry with him because he wasn't stopping to take time for them. He was focused. We can spend a lot of time on doing good things, but it's not necessarily the thing God wants us to be doing. Laser focused. I need to stop. I'm sorry I went a little bit long. Um, But today, I just asked this question. Today, I think we all have to examine ourselves and say, okay, Lord, so what? I don't mean that in a bad way, but so, so what next? And I say today, examine yourself, myself. Is there anything in my life, is there anything in your life preventing you from being a laser-focused Christian. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples we have in history of missionaries who were laser-focused no matter the cost. Lord, help us to have this burden this burden, this urgent desire to see people saved. Help us, Lord, to do your will and not our own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.